I'm Brian Ballow. I'm Peter Onuf. And I'm Ed Ayers. We're talking today about the history of corporations in America and about the conflicted feelings that Americans have had about them throughout our history. We're going to turn now to what is probably the most important legal case having to do with the rights of corporations in early America. Now, we've already talked about the way that corporations were not just about business back then. And sure enough, this case centers on a corporation called Dartmouth College. Dartmouth was created by royal charter in 1769 when George III was still king on this side of the Atlantic. Its charter specified that it was a private university. But in the 1810s, the new sovereign, which would be the state of New Hampshire, attempted to modify that charter so that lawmakers could have more say in matters of school governance. They argued that this would assure that the corporation would continue to operate in the public good. But the school's trustees said, hold it, our charter amounts to a contract. And just because you're the government doesn't mean that you can alter the contract. The case made its way to the Supreme Court, which ultimately ruled in favor of the trustees. Dartmouth case said that if you got a deal, a sweet deal from the state legislature, the next state legislature couldn't interfere with that sweet deal. This is Chuck McCurdy, a legal historian at the University of Virginia. It was a principle that said... If it's a private corporation, it's immune from governmental intermeddling in the future. That's a big principle. As we heard at the beginning of today's show, states granted corporate charters on a case-by-case basis in the early years of America. McCurdy says that after Dartmouth, would-be corporations were emboldened to try to get the most favorable terms and conditions from lawmakers that they could, knowing that they would be set forever once they did. Every promoter or organizer of a body politic in corporate form, especially of banks and by the 1830s railroad companies, show up to negotiate with state legislatures saying that they demand all kinds of special franchises which are not available to ordinary people in the marketplace who lack access to a corporate form. So they want tax exemptions, uh, the right of route monopolies for railroads and turnpike roads, and so on. And that happens quickly after the It happens by the 1820s. Uh, James Kent, who writes the first treatise uh, of American law generally, talked about a mighty current of corporations being generated by the several state legislatures. Their session laws uh, each year being dominated by the creation of these entities. And for the most part, they were privileged entities. And... The legislative process was largely an annex uh, to the marketplace. Can you give us any sense of, you talk about the strong current of these corporations emerging, any sense of scale? Well, in terms of numbers, yeah. uh, in 1800, uh, we know there were 310 uh, for-profit corporations in the United States. By 1819, there were 2,000. By 1870, there were 100,000. So that's a dramatic change. I'm guessing that everybody thought it was great. Well, there was one whole political party, the Democratic Party created by, largely by Martin Van Buren, combining the plain farmers of the North with the planters of the South, that became dedicated to an anti-monopoly and anti-charter doctrine in the late 1820s uh, and really continuing until they they won the battle by uh, the mid-1840s. I noticed that you said that they are opposed to monopoly, not to corporations. Why would those two words be conflated so quickly? Because so many 
monopolies were indeed created by legislative act, which could not subsequently be undone without violating the doctrine uh, laid down by the Supreme Court of the United States in the Dartmouth College case. Can you give me an example? I mean, Dartmouth College doesn't seem a very threatening monopoly. Sure. The Boston and Worcester Railroad was one of the very first chartered by the Massachusetts legislature. I think it was 1830. And uh, that first charter of the Boston and Worcester Railroad provided that it should have a monopoly of the route of travel for 30 years between Boston and Worcester. So another railroad was chartered that went from Boston to someplace near Worcester. It wasn't even the same county, but it was held that it violated the route monopoly of the Boston and Worcester. So you can see how there was tension between economic development, which everybody was in favor of, by providing security to investors on the one hand, and economic development being limited by the claims of monopolists. And obviously those monopolists would be people who had access to political power. I mean, you have to be an insider in order to get a charter passed, I would imagine. Absolutely. So what did the people who opposed these monopolies propose instead, Chad? Well, they proposed that no corporation be created except by general law. In other words, that rather than chartering corporations one at a time by special act of the legislature, that the uh, state governments simply enact a general law providing under what circumstances uh, anybody with the capital to invest, to open a bank or create an insurance company, uh, that they could uh, go ahead and proceed. And these general laws would not authorize the state to confer upon these corporators any privileges and immunities that were not available on uh, similar terms or identical terms to any other potential uh, corporator or investor. So it would seem to me, Chuck, that they're fighting the corporate fire with more fire, that if corporations are dangerous, their idea, well, what you really need is to make it possible for anybody to create corporations. So ironically, the anti-monopoly movement actually encourages even more corporations. Is that right? Well, I don't know that I would say ironically, because that was the intention. <laughs> In other words, most of the leaders of the anti-monopoly movement subscribed to something they called the equal rights creed. Uh, they had no problem with, um, with market operations and accumulations of capital arising from uh, market operations. What they despised were people using their political clout in order to enhance their power and authority and um, ability to benefit from market operations. And those are two very different things. So at this juncture then, the creation of corporations seems a great democratic reform. And the more corporations, the better. Uh, that was one way to look at it. And um, in the constitutional conventions, in every state in the 1840s and 1850s, Democrats pushed uh, for mandatory general incorporation laws, and in most instances, they succeeded. Chuck McCurdy is a historian.